Hi, I'm Sierra Parks, and I'm proud to work in cannabis because of all the great opportunities it provides in such a booming industry. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Proud to Work in Cannabis podcast. I'm your host, Carson Humiston, the founder of Vangst. And today we have a very special episode. We have one of our own amazing leadership team members. I'm joined by Sierra Parks. Sierra is our head of people and culture here at Vangst. Since Sierra's joined, we've added dozens of new hires. We're on the road to adding hundreds of new hires, and Sierra is leading this entire effort. Sierra has incredible background in people and culture and diversity and inclusion initiatives. So we feel extremely grateful to have her. And we learn so much from her every day. And we thought that our community could benefit from being able to learn and listen to all the knowledge that Sierra has to share. So Sierra, thanks for joining me today. Absolutely. Excited to be here and chat with you, Carson. Let's dive right in. Sierra, give us your background and story. How did you decide to make the transition into the crazy cannabis industry? Yeah, so I was around right when cannabis was starting to come up on the West Coast. Didn't think that I would ever cross into cannabis, just didn't see how the paths would cross, especially in HR, right? Because HR becomes almost like the regulatory body of, of the organization. And so I had a background working in manufacturing and then nonprofit work as well, all in the HR space. And then I had an opportunity to join a cannabis organization, thought it was the absolute best move in my career, seeing how the industry was starting to grow and really start to spread across the country. And I did that, loved the opportunity, absolutely loved the opportunities it was providing, saw where it was going, saw the potential, and then joined banks shortly thereafter. And Sierra, talk to us a little bit about since you've joined the cannabis industry, what's been surprising, what's been unique and different than other industries you've been part of? I would say the biggest difference for sure is that in every other industry, there's some path forward, right? Someone has done something like this. There is a cloth already cut and the cannabis industry is not that. There are gonna be so many things as an HR professional or anyone coming into the industry sees for the first time once they hit cannabis. And there are just things that you couldn't imagine, situations or scenarios that didn't exist in other industries. And so that's what I would say is being ready to pivot at all times also because it's so heavily regulated state by state. And then just really understanding that as an HR person on this side of the table, you need to know how to pivot and where to find the updates in the law and the regulatory bodies just across the country. Let's talk a little bit about companies going through growth. How would you recommend a young cannabis startup potentially just getting started, just recently won a license? They're going to grow from zero employees to 100 employees. What are the things that people from an HR and people and culture perspective need to be thinking of from day one? Yeah, so I've seen a lot of cannabis companies fumble the bag here, right? And I would say maybe in the beginning, you don't think you need HR. And that may be true, right? Maybe you have a PEO to do your payroll. Maybe your operations manager is doing time and attendance. Maybe you don't need a full-time HR person. But I do think it's worthwhile for you to consult with an HR person to stand up how your organization is going to be structured from a people perspective. And so a lot of times what I see in cannabis is it's some type of family business, right? We bring in maybe my nephew, we bring in my cousin, we bring in my nephew's friend. And now what we've done is we've stacked the deck with all of these family dynamics in a business that's already hard to run. And you've layered it in a way that makes it very difficult for you to make decisions when you need to. 
And so I would say the first thing you want to consider is making sure you understand who are the right people you need to hire and where are you getting those people from and what kind of skill set do you need them to have? That is the first thing you should start thinking about from a people ops perspective when you want to start a cannabis organization. And for people looking to manage the regulatory complexities in cannabis and they don't have an HR team, what are your recommendations for thinking through, all right, I figured out these are the skill sets I need. These are the kind of folks that I'm looking to bring in. How do I make sure that I'm compliant because I just want a license and I don't know anything about cannabis employment regulations in Nevada, as an example? I would say the first thing you need to do is reach out to your regulatory board in whichever state that you are operating in. Most times those regulatory boards are more than willing to help you figure out what it is you need to do. Now, they may not have a very clean step-by-step one-pager or a PDF that you could utilize, but they are more than willing to make sure that you're going in the right direction because they too are invested in making sure that your license is put to good use. And they know that your business cannot get going if you don't have the right people and you're not able to hire them compliantly with the legalities of their commission or their board. So switching gears a little bit, one thing that's been great working with you on is all of the social equity, diversity, and inclusion initiatives that you're so passionate about. Can you give the audience some context around the initiatives and what it is that you're working on and and where you see the opportunities here? Absolutely. So I've been in DEI for probably 11 years or so, Carson, right? So I was doing diversity when it was just diversity. And then it went to diversity and inclusion. And then it went to DEI, DEIB, right? And so I've seen quite a few iterations of what it looks like to implement strategies around diversity in the workplace. And one of the really unique opportunities that's happened is everyone now seems to be more interested in making sure that we are implementing things that make the workplace more equitable, that make the workplace a truly comfortable place to be for everyone, regardless of their background or their demographics. And so cannabis is no different. Now, ironically, cannabis has had its roots being old white money. And so when we start to think about how it is we diversify the industry, how do organizations diversify their workforce, and how is it that we pivot from a social equity standpoint, that is really where we start to lean in on some of these initiatives that happen, both in the industry and in cannabis workshops, right? And so first off, we look at the industry. I think everyone has a pretty good background of what social equity means, but I'll give you a little bit of a uh, a synopsis here. It's essentially is how do we make all of those who were incarcerated or in some way penalized by dealing with cannabis have a fair shot at what has now become a multi-billion dollar industry in the United States. So that is the premise of social equity, right? Let us make this right for people who were penalized. So that's there. And then we start looking at what organizations can do internally to make sure that they are in some way infusing diversity efforts or initiatives and social equity. It starts to look like data. And that's the first thing I tell people, right? Diversity can become very expensive. There are a lot of consultants. There are a lot of opportunities for you to reach out and talk to people who do this and consult with them 100%. But if you are saying we want to be on the forefront of this, there are things you can do that cost you nothing. And it looks like Who are you hiring? Where are you hiring from? Who are your pipeline sources? How are you making sure that you're increasing your diversity in the recruitment pipeline? It could also be things like just looking at who's already on the team. Do you have women in your office? 
Do you have multiple generations in the office? And if you do, how are you making sure that all of those folks get to show up authentically when they come to work? And then how are you making sure that you include everyone to make sure that their voice is just as weighted in meetings and in conversations about what the business is doing? That's an interesting point on the multi-generational component. I'll give you know the example of Vangst. I started Vangst in college, and so naturally was drawn to a bunch of other college people. And before you went, you, the business starts to grow up and the team starts to grow up. And so you start bringing in moms and dads and people with all different kinds of lives outside of work. And what is your recommendations for making that for making a company where the 23-year-old just out of school can come and bring her ideas, but also the mom who can't go out to every single happy hour because she has a family at home and she can't be going out to team bonding happy hours. I think in speaking candidly, that's a real thread that we've had to work through as a business and you've been able to help us do it because so much in early day startups, a lot of things that go on are are social and outside of the nine to five business hours, like I just described, the happy hours with the customers, the retreats, right? A lot of the social components, which frankly just aren't going to fit in for a working mom or dad schedule. So, but it's so much a part of startup culture. So how would you advise other fast growing tech startups like what you've done with banks to make it so everyone's included in all these kinds of conversations? Yeah, that's a good point, right? So tech is really battling this, especially startups. And so one of the things that I like to tell people or advise people to do when they're considering how it is they bring in multi-generations and infuse them in the workplace is be honest with people in the recruitment process. So what the demographics of your organization look like. So hypothetically, if the average age of your organization is 25 and you know that perhaps you're interviewing with someone who doesn't quite fit that demographic, I think it's worthwhile to give them that insight so that everyone can say, I understand what I'm getting myself into. And you also give them a realistic job preview. This is our culture. These are the types of things that we do. And so regardless of whether or not they think that they're going to be able to participate in every happy hour, they at least had the opportunity to decide if that was the workplace that they wanted or suited their need. And there will be some candidates that say, hey, I just don't think I'm into an environment that is that social right now. And maybe that's not the right fit for them. But then I think there are other opportunities where people say, hey, I'm at a point in my career where I want to coach, I want to train, and I want to work with people who are coming up in the Gen Z and millennial generations. And in that way, I know that this is a good fit for me. And another point that I think is super interesting on the startup scaling is, and another thing that Banks has gone through is, You start out with a company pre-seed round, then you have the seed round, you have the team at the C round, A, B, so on and so forth. And different team members play critical parts in the business along different times. And so I will tell you right now, our first hire, Jordan Smith, who's still a great friend of mine, I I don't know if she tunes into every podcast, but if you're listening, hi, Jordan, right, we, we both started and we were like, Neither of us had really any experience, and we thought that we would both be there at the IPO bell, ringing the bell, me as a CEO, Jordan as a COO. And time goes by, and suddenly you look around, and you have 60-something employees and two people that have no experience scaling, and you realize you really need to bring in, in this scenario, potentially an operations person, right? But then you have the early employees who joined, and they had these dreams and ambitions, and they thought that maybe they would be the COO. How do you handle going from the culture of everybody doing everything and thinking that they're going to be running the company for forever to 
a company where you're bringing in people with 20 years experience doing this one thing and people go from being generalist to being in a lane specialist. So, so how do you maintain that early day? Everyone does everything. We're in it to the finish line to we really have to bring in true professionals with experience in this lane and let them do their thing. And how do you handle that balance with early employees? So the reality in startup is everyone who starts with you is not going to make it to the end. And that is a harsh reality. And I don't think people like to talk about that when they start the organization. And no one likes to think that far down the road. But that is the truth. Everyone's not going to make it. And I think what happens as the organization starts to grow and scale is we start to identify those early employees. What is your true niche? What are you really passionate about? What are you really good at? What do you really want to do? How do you want to make this startup environment your true pivot in the career that you want to build. And that's one of the benefits of being in a startup. You get to dictate a lot of what happens in your career and you get to build it from scratch with people who are saying, I'm willing to work with you to get there. And so we really need to start to pivot people into places of passion so that they can continue to push the business forward because in startups, it's not always easy. Every day is not going to be a great day. And some days you have some stumble blocks. But people who are working in roles that they're passionate about continue to be passionate and continue to push forward. So that's what I would say. We communicate openly with folks as things start to change. And we really start to identify people's true strengths and weaknesses. And we pivot them in that direction. And this is such a unique podcast because so many of the things we're talking about apply to so many startup founders out there. Let's talk a little bit about how to professionalize communication and and chain of command. I, I, I'm totally fine to give some insight into advanced, right? We were a company where everyone would come to me with every single thing, right? Which is scalable when you have 20 employees, but not when you have 100. And I know every other startup out there has the same kinds of challenges. So Sierra, from a people and culture perspective, how do you keep the founder and that passion and the relationship with every single employee, how do you keep that alive while also having a system where not every single decision in the entire company is going through the founder? And, and how do you help founders navigate through that? Because I'm sure there's a lot of founders out there that are you know, going through this. So that is a really big deal in startup in that when you are at that ground level, you are the decision maker coming through the door. But at some point, the day-to-day -day decisions become too many for one person to decide. So you hire the right people that you trust, people with the right skills set into the right roles in the organization. And then you really start to funnel up all types of decisions through those department heads. That is the key to really being able to be sustainable in communication. Now, what I will tell you is every organization will say that their number one concern is communication. Every organization. I'm talking about organizations who have been around forever, right? People at Amazon will say, hey, we don't have enough communication. People at Google will say, we don't have enough communication. Same thing at Meta, right? These are large organizations that are also struggling with saying, how do we tell the employees what they need to hear when they need to hear it? And the reality is you're never going to get that right. You're never going to get it right. But it is important that you say that I've given you enough information for you to make the decisions that are good for both your department, your career, and your operational function here at the organization, wherever that might be. And that's what really starts to matter, right? We're telling people the information that drives the business forward, and we're making sure that the decisions that are made drive the business forward. Switching gears a little bit to just thinking about the industry, fast forward five years from now, what makes you most excited about being part of this industry and where this industry is going? 
Yeah. So for me, Carson, it's truly because I love seeing how much groundbreaking gets to happen in where we are right now. There are things that we're creating today that will set the standard for what cannabis industry will be 10 years from now. And so that is such a cool thing to be a part of, to say the policies that we write or the compliance pieces we put in place or the partnerships that we build really do create change in the industry in a way that right now it's tough to say that we'll be able to do in any other industry going forward in our lifetime. And the, the last question for you is for folks out there listening to this podcast, potentially wanting to break into the cannabis industry. They want to break in. They don't know where to get started. Obviously, of course, Vanks is a great resource. But what is the advice? What do you wish you knew before you started your search into going into cannabis? So the first thing I would tell everyone is you need to create a profile on Banks.com. Honestly, you need to create a profile there. Shameless plug. But you need to understand what kind of jobs are in the industry. So often when I talk to people wanting to get into cannabis, they tell me things like I don't have any experience growing or I don't have any experience manufacturing oils or terpenes. That's not what we're asking you to do. I want everyone to understand that the cannabis industry is a fully fledged industry that has marketing roles, accounting roles, HR roles, right? This is a fully baked industry. And so if you have any skill set, there's probably a role that we can find for you in the cannabis industry. And you need to consider what transferable skills you have to be able to come into the industry and make an impact. So often people try to force themselves and I'm going to go figure out how to grow. Everyone doesn't need to be a grower. Figure out what it is you do well and let's find a role that fits what you already do. Couldn't agree more. There's so many great opportunities in cannabis, regardless of the type of skills and background that you have. If you want to get into cannabis, learning about the kind of roles that are in the space, beginning to network and speak to other people that have those roles in the space is really what's going to help you stand apart. So Sierra, we're out of time because you and I have a meeting after this. That's not part of the podcast, but Sierra, thank you so much for being here on our podcast today and excited to do a follow-up episode in a year and talk about all the things that we've learned from a people operations standpoint in, in scaling the business. Perfect. Thanks so much for the invitation. Join Banks. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, I'm Gary, and I invite you to discover the Cannabis Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on a Canadian's cannabis culture. I would be the Canadian, and my cannabis passion and culture has been building for five decades. I share that passion for this wonderful plant in every episode, through conversations with cannabis advocates and enthusiasts, stories about the ever-changing legal environment, and some hands-on testing of product in a segment I call Cultivar Corner. The Cannabis Podcast, a Canadian's cannabis culture, one token at a time.